0: G'day and welcome uh, tonight. If this is your first time actually popping in tonight, we just want to say uh, a massive welcome, in fact. Uh, and At any stage of please feel free to help yourself uh, to the bountiful amount of lollies in the back as well, but uh, we're absolutely stoked to have you here tonight. Uh, in fact, if you have came tonight to, to fill you in, if you missed last week, we actually have uh, just launched... A series where essentially we just take an idea and unpack it, but this series has only been a two-week, it's a two-parter, so this is the sequel this week, uh, but our series actually launched last week, and we called it Lighthouse, uh, and our Lighthouse uh, series was actually launched by one of our very attractive uh, communicators, Josh Cookle, uh, who, yeah, listen, he's an attractive guy, single guy as well, uh, no, sorry, he's not single, in fact, he's not, I apologise, Sydney, but he is still mildly attractive, so... Uh, But Josh kicked off our series and and essentially uh, we looked at this idea of what people expect when they hear this word Christian. Uh, And see, maybe for you, you've actually stepped in tonight and and have had experiences with the church before, or have an experience with a Christian school before, but maybe you've actually had an experience where uh, this idea of Christianity and why it's so confusing to you doesn't come down to to what people believe and what they value or the fact that you can't actually see this person that they seem to be worshipping, but it more points back to the experiences that you actually have with these group of people called Christians. So Josh last week, uh, he he sat down himself and and he ran us through uh, what Jesus actually commanded of his followers, or in a sense what people should expect when they actually have an encounter with a follower of Jesus. And Josh actually unpacked it uh, from what Jesus actually commanded of his followers, and what I was saying earlier, and actually pulled apart the book of Matthew, uh, where Jesus actually stood on a mountain, actually delivered a sermon to his followers, and told them this. He told them that you are a light to the world. That you are a light to the world. That in darkness, you actually make things visible elaborated on this idea that it's actually through our followers of Jesus' actions. It's their actions, not their spiritual acts, not their prayer, not how often they read their Bible, not how much money they give to the offering, not through spiritual acts, but more so, it is through their actions of love that can actually show people that they are a light to this world, that they are a light in darkness, that they can actually make God visible. And And Josh kind of left us on this question. If you want to actually hear what he was on about last week and how he unpacked this book of Matthew and what Jesus actually said, I encourage you to jump onto our social media where we'll have our SoundCloud link up and you can check out that message. Um, But Josh kind of left us on this application point uh, that he flipped our way and it's actually something we've been challenged by before at Beyond. He left us with this application point to take into our week with this question of what does love require of me? In light of being a follower of Jesus, what does love require of me? And in fact, if you jump on our Facebook page, you'll see uh, a whole bunch of snapshots of awesome wallpapers that our Sick uh, as social media team came up with Uh, with this question, what does love require of me on it? In all circumstances, when I'm at work, when I'm at uni, when I'm at study, when I'm playing my football game on the weekend, when I'm taking my dance rehearsals, uh, when I'm around my closest friends, when I am with my family, what does love require of me? You see, it's a cracking question, and it's a question that I am consistently challenged by. I wasn't just challenged by over the last week, but I can tell you it was something I was challenged by about a year and a half ago uh, when I actually took up a job in the hospitality industry. Now, if you have been in hospitality before, if you have worked uh, in a workplace environment or taken a job where you are working with customers or you are in guest services, you will know asking this question of what does love require of me is a tricky one because there are some people... Just trying to choose my words nicely here. There are some people that are just seemingly very hard to love. Uh, so I kind of want to bring you into the setting of my own experience in working in hospitality. In fact, I actually used to work in a crape, a crape. I used to work. <laughs> let me make up for it. I used to work in a crepe cafe. Alright, it wasn't a dodgy cafe. I used to work in a crepe cafe where we'd make crepes. And if you know what crepes are, they're the thin, you know, small pancakes that are you know, a bit of a delicacy. You can charge people a buttload for them because any boyfriend's going to buy it for his girlfriend because they sound fancy. Now, in a crepe cafe, uh, when I first started working there, there was a lot of things that I learned how to do. Uh, but the main thing I was really good at was, was working the cash register. I got the cash register down. I wasn't too good at making coffees yet, and I wasn't great at making crepes. But uh, they loved to throw me out the front. They're like, Riley, just be the face, just check in with people, get the orders, and flick it over to us. We'll figure out the rest. I agreed with it. I'm like, that sounds great. Let's work with it from there. So I was about three weeks into my job by this stage. Uh, when we were sitting in, and I was there with my mate Ellery, and we were sitting down, and there wasn't too much of a rush. In fact, nobody had really came in for a good half an hour, and it was still early in the morning. Uh, it was raining a little bit, so. Uh, we thought, you know, let's, let's be more productive with our time. We noticed that there were two flies in the store buzzing around. Uh, so, you know, obviously being two males in the area, we thought it was pretty practical to go get some fly squatters. So I said to my mate Ellery, why don't you duck over to Woolies, buy, uh, b- buy a fly squatter, in fact, buy two fly squatters so we can increase work productivity uh, and let's get these flies. Let's get these flies just while there's no customers coming in. So my mate Ellery, he ducks across the road and he's jumped over to Woolworths. Now, in the time that Ellery's actually gone over to Woolworths, I am left in the store by myself, which I very quickly realised was not a good idea. Uh, see, I didn't really know the store that well. I only knew how to serve customers at the front. And it seemed that in this time that Ellery actually left the store, uh, the rain stopped and the sun had came up and the customers had started to come. And then the first customer came, they just wanted a simple order, Just wanted a milkshake. I can do milkshakes too easy. Went over, got the milkshake done, was getting it ready. Came over, all of a sudden there's another customer. Crepe and coffee. All right, I'll get the crepe and coffee. All of a sudden, another customer came. They wanted a hot chocolate. There was a baby Chino. There was a skinny half mocha on gluten free. I don't know, lactose milk, if that's even a thing. Anyway, everything was going on. It got to the point where we were bulked up with 12 customers lining up outside. And I'm running around trying to make crepes. I'm running around trying to make coffees. I'm running around trying to help the person at the front and actually get these orders down. Pat. And in this situation, I was stressing out. But my situation became even more stressful when one lady in particular just stepped into the store. And I knew we were behind, but I knew that I could make up for the time that uh, these food and coffee hadn't got out. This one lady came in. She just approached me and she said, listen. And I knew by the tone of her voice, it wasn't a good listen. It was something I didn't want to listen to. She said, listen, really, is it, is it rocket science? Is making coffee rocket science. Like, how hard can it be to get the receipt from the cash register over to the coffee machine? Like, surely I've been waiting for my coffee for a good seven minutes now. It's a takeaway. I just need to get over to the train station. And I was freaking out. I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this. Like, if I was to have any superpower in my life in this moment, uh, it wouldn't be super speed. It wouldn't be super strength. It'd either be to be invisible or the power to, like, avoid confrontation. Like, I was in a situation where I was completely panicking. I had no idea what to do. Uh, and she just kept kind of giving it to me. And I just didn't know how to respond to it. And everything I was trying to say was like, yeah, listen, I'm so sorry. I completely understand. Listen, I'm going to go talk to the barista. I'll go talk to the barista. We'll sort it out. He's new. He's having a hard day. Meanwhile, she had no idea because she couldn't see the coffee machine. I was the barista. There was no other barista in there. I'm like, please, he's new. And she's like, I understand. I understand. I'm like, please, here, take a free coffee. In fact, take a free cake. In fact, you won't have to pay for anything. It's all It's all good. And she just still didn't really bite at it. And I was just completely stressed out and I didn't know what to do. And then I just see my mate Ellery running across the road with these two fly squatters <laughs> going, we got him! we got him!" And there's this line of 12 people outside. But in this situation, everything I had, every ounce inside of me to actually love this person who was trying to making it really for me, making, making coffee into rocket science, It made this stressful situation. It was so hard for me to actually show love. And for the rest of the day and as these rest of the 12 people come through, I was just over in my coffee machine and my tears were just slowly seeping into this cup as I was frothing the milk because I was completely bamboozled. And it's these moments where you're just so caught up in emotion. You're so caught up in stress, so caught up in the fear of things. You're so caught up in having someone in front of you that seemingly you just feel like you can't care for because they're just not showing love to you. In fact, they're showing the opposite. It becomes so difficult to ask this question of what does love require of me? And as we looked at this question across this week, and this was pitched in part, part one of the series, it's, it's a scary thing to look at what Jesus actually asks of his followers. Actually tell them that you are a light to the world. Through your actions, whether they're good or whether they're bad, your actions actually communicate something to somebody else. In fact, your actions can actually allow people to have this perception of Christianity that you might, you yourself might not agree with, or you yourself might actually feel compelled to justify yourself when people ask you whether or not you're a Christian. So... I want you tonight, if you're sitting in your chair and you're going, oh great, you know, this, this Cody Simpson lookalike, he's going to walk us through, you know, everything about followers of Jesus and it's all going to be about followers of Jesus tonight. I want you to know that if you're coming from this unchurched background, if you're coming from a background where you've been a part of a church but you've actually stepped away from it, you're coming from a position where this whole Christianity thing, it just seemingly doesn't make sense in your head, I, I want you to know tonight is actually not only completely about you, but each night here at Beyond is completely for you. See, if you actually came to church at one point in your life, maybe you actually came because of a follower of Jesus. Maybe part of the reason you actually stepped away from the church was because of a follower of Jesus. Maybe you felt compelled at some time in your life to actually justify your your own Christian values, knowing people have experienced things differently. Maybe for you, You're actually coming here tonight with some pushback, some friction, some tension from your own experience. From experiences you've had with with Christians at your workplace that tell you that you need church. From Christians that go to your uni or Christians that you went to high school with or go to high school with now that have all these views that you just seem to disagree with entirely Maybe for you, your perspective of Christians is the, the two hipsters with Bible verse tattoos that sit in the coffee shop and have this loud theological and philosophical argument in front of everyone. Maybe for you, your perception of a Christian is actually the guy that, that runs around in Queen Street Moor with a sandwich board on him, handing out flies, telling you that you need to repent or else you're going to go to hell. You see, I can understand with all these different experiences you might have, your perception of Christianity Build a wall between you and the church every day. I can understand why you want no part of this whole Christianity scheme. And I want you to know that if this is something that has happened to you, if this is the experience that you have had, I'm sorry. I can't blame you for not wanting to have any part of it. So tonight, I actually want to come alongside of you and actually unpack with you what this leader of this whole movement actually called his followers to be. Because if we actually look at the historical accounts or or the eyewitnesses that actually travelled and journeyed with Jesus across his life, if we actually look back on the timeline of history and looked at what language was used around the existence of Jesus, we would find that this word Christian is actually a word that was not coined by followers of Jesus. In fact, it was actually coined by a population of people who were not part of the Jesus movement. In fact, they were completely against it. Christian was actually a derogative term used to uh, explain or used collectively to identify this group of people that were following Jesus. And ultimately, this, this word Christian, it was only used three times. We can only find it three times across the whole Bible. So uh, we look at this word Christian, and for each to our own, we, we can define it, we can redefine it, we can mystify it, but at the end of the day, if we look at what the authors of the Bible and how Jesus uh, actually uses and descri- uh, uses words and actually describes who his followers are, it is very, very interesting uh, to identify the word he actually uses or the term he uses because it is used so very, very consistently across how he communicates to other people people. In fact, it's a scary word. It's a scary word because it is so well defined. And the word is this. The word is disciple. Disciple. Disciple is a scary word because disciple comes with its own definition. See, disciple is someone who is a learner. Disciple is someone who is a follower. A disciple is someone who is an apprentice, or a disciple is a pupil. A disciple is someone who is willing to learn, and willing to say yes to something, knowing that it is right. See, we can hide behind the word Christian, but I find great discomfort in this word of disciple, because it is a scary question for me to think that or ask the question on myself: Do I actually live my life as a disciple? So, to break this down with you more, I actually want to bring you into the book of John, where Jesus is actually having his final words with his disciples. His 12 disciples, in fact, his dirty dozens who are pretty much made up of tax collectors, fishermen, a whole bunch of criminals. But these dirty dozen, his 12 disciples are essentially his Charlie's angels that he's going to send into the world to spread his message. But on this night that he has this conversation with them, this is the night that he knows he'll be betrayed. This is the night that he knows will eventually decide his face and fate and uh, eventually he'll you'll be crucified. So with his final words to his disciples, this is what he says. To prove to the world that you are my followers, this is what he says. He says, it will be your theological understanding and your intellect which will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not. It's not. He doesn't even mention, it's not your church attendance that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not your, your car worship jam playlist. Uh, it's not your inspirational Bible verse Instagram upload for a throwback Thursday. No, no. It's not even your yellow card count of zero that you got in last week's football game that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. But in fact, Jesus says this. He says, it is your love for one another which will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It is your love for one another. See, we asked this question last week of what does love require of me? Kind of break it down. I want to ask this question behind the question because what does it really mean to love one another? What do we know about love? And maybe right there you can stop me and go, gee golly Riley, let me tell you about love. Have you seen The Notebook? Have you seen Ryan Gosling? I mean, what do I want? That guy gets it. Ryan gets it. Have you seen the Spider-Man movies, the upside-down Spider-Man kiss? That's a classic. Titanic, you got Leo, you got Rose. We all know Leo didn't have to die. That was his choice because he could have fit on the little cabinet thing floating. There was plenty of room. Like, that is love. That is sacrificial love. Maybe you can look at it more practically. Riley, love Love is forgiveness. Love is forgiving my New South Wales friends because I know that he's supporting a team that lost nine years in a row. Like, that is, that is my way of showing love and I understand maybe for me that's, that's how I might see love through my romantic uh, you know, rom-com life. But, but at the same time, there are practical ways that we can show love. There are ways that we can give and ways we can receive love. Because we know what it feels like to give or receive love. We can do it through words of affirmation. We can do it through giving somebody a hug when we know they need a hug. We can give or receive love through meaningful time with other people. We can give or receive love through through gifts. Maybe for you, you even uh, receive or give love through acts of service and actually serving people. See, we can say we know what it is like, what it looks like, what it sounds like and what it feels like to feel love, but, but why is it sometimes that we don't feel loved ourselves? Why is it sometimes that Others around us don't actually show love to one another. So what did Jesus actually really mean when he told his disciples to love one another? To answer this question, I actually want to bring you in uh, to a letter and read to you a letter uh, written by a guy called John. John. Uh, In fact, John was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his best mates. Uh, John was a little bit of a man of the wilderness. He was a bit of like a, a Bear Grylls type of guy. He enjoyed his insect delicacy. In fact, John would have been a fantastic contestant on Survivor or even a fantastic uh, poster boy for any paleo diet cafe. This guy was like the original hipster. Uh, he was full on, had a dirty beard and all. Uh, but this letter that John writes is actually a letter that he writes 55 years, to so what historians believe, 55 years after Jesus' death during this time, it's a, it's a pretty red-hot, ugly time for Christians. It's a pretty red-hot, ugly time for John as well. You see, thousands of Jews have been murdered, some by their own people. The, the city of Jerusalem is fallen. Christians were killed by the numbers. John actually sits down to write this letter to followers of Jesus that have been dispersed across this Roman Empire he writes this. His words are valuable. He's one of the last disciples remaining. And he writes, We know what real love is. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. Loving one another, it isn't a prerequisite of becoming a Christian. It's actually something that you do because you know what it means to be loved. Real love actually comes from sacrifice. Real love actually comes from knowing when someone has actually given something up for you first. And then John writes on, he says, We also ought to give up our lives for others. See, we can always ask this question of what does love require of me? Because we know we have every reason to love someone. When someone actually loves on us first. Love through sacrifice. Love through actually giving someone our time. It's not a one-way street. When we give up something, we owe it to others because we know what love is. And it's not saying you have to be a spiritual person to know what it feels like, to actually have someone respond to your circumstance with love. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to know what this feels like. But John actually goes ahead to actually challenge followers of Jesus. So he actually says it's one thing to read, love one another... But it's different when you actually put it into action. And he challenges followers of Jesus through a question. And then he actually gives an answer to how we love one another. And Reading on in his letter, he says, If anyone has enough money to live well and sees a person in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Let us not just say that we love each other, let us actually show truth by our actions. It's crazy to think at times that we can come home from a full day of work, we can sit at the dinner table, and we can say the words, I love you. It's crazy to think we can come home from a full day of work and send a text message or send an email saying the words, I love you, but still feel this emptiness on the inside. All of a sudden, love carries this emptiness because it's never followed up with action. So people can always have their own definition of what a Christian is. But what would people see in a follower of Jesus if they actually experienced what this real love looks like? This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew. You are a light. People know who you are by how you love others, and, and what John writes in, in this context of followers of Jesus of his time for these Christians dispersed across the Roman Empire is so relevant to us within our context and culture today because people may actually know who God is. God can actually become visible in darkness by how you actually go about loving others. It's, it's pretty easy for, for God people They're ever ask the question of who God is to tell people that God is faithful God is compassionate, God has a plan for you, and then we can whack out all the other uh, God words, starting with O, the ones that can be used as a premise of Christianity and balance it against science, that God is omnipotent, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's an omnivore, he's, or omnivores, he's not, okay, we don't know he's an omnivore, that's a vegetarian meat eater, but you get the idea. We can throw out these big words to, to try and explain him. While these may actually hold truth, all of them except the omnivore one, my, these may hold truth. John actually impacts further what God's love is, and he dishes out this big game changer. And he writes, "We know how much God loves us, and have put our trust in His love." And then here comes the game changer. It's going to be in blue. John writes. God is love. God is love. And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in Him. You've got to think as you read it really, John? Really, God? God is love? After everything you've experienced, your friends have been killed. People have turned against their own kind, their, their own friends. Like, really, God is love, John? Yep. John, even your friend Peter, Peter was crucified upside down on the cross and you're saying God is love. Yeah. And John, you, you know, even Matthew was burnt at the stake and you are saying God is love after everything you've seen. Yep. Really, Paul. Paul literally lost his head like it was decapitated. John, God is love. Yes. So John goes on, God is love. Not that we love God. He doesn't write that God is loving. John writes, God is love. Love is not something he does, but love is who he is. And here's the thing. If it's true what John actually writes, if it's true in answering what it means to love one another, for followers of Jesus and for disciples, I just want to zone in for a second, because John is saying that people will actually see who God is when they actually see the way we love one another. You are a light by the way you love one another. If God is love, love is not something we say. Love is something we do. As a follower of Jesus, I can can tell you right now that I actually find that both terribly exciting, but also terribly scary. See, for some people in my life, Some people in your life, you might know people that are seemingly very difficult to love. Particularly in a world that this week has has shown us really just how broken the world is. There's some people that are simply difficult to love. Customers, some people we buy things off, some people from our workplace, some people from our uni. Some people from our school, some people maybe even from the church that we attend, maybe even the soccer team or, or the football team or the sports team that we're a part of. Maybe for you, there are some people, even in your friendships, that you know are difficult people to love. For you, there might even be difficult people in your family that are seemingly challenging to love. You see, it's a lot easier to read love one another on a piece of paper than it is to simply put it into. Action. At the same time, for me, I actually find it very hard to not identify people within my own life who have shown me love. People within my workplace, people I study with, people within my sports team, people that within my church life, in some ways as well, people that are my friends, my sisters, my dad even my mum, there are some people in my life that can show me what it actually means to love. Maybe for you, maybe for you, that idea of love actually comes through seeing your child or through your children. See, I know in my situation, it, it might not be the same as yours. In fact, I can only hope you resonate with one of those uh, things above, but I know for myself as a colleague, as a, as a friend, as a brother and as a son, that I should be and that I am a very difficult person to love. And you not only have to have a conversation with my mum to know that. But I'm a very difficult person to love. I am constantly reminded, not just today, but over the course of my life, of what it actually means to be love. What it actually means to have undeserving love at that too. of me feels compelled i actually owe something of that of who i am to my family to actually show that love to others now i can understand that maybe that person for you isn't within your family context so to actually help you frame this question of what does love require of me as you step into this week i just want to flick to you a little bit of a challenge in fact we do this thing here at beyond it's called full monday because we believe what's the point in coming to church on a Sunday, if it's not going to change you, it's not going to impact you for Monday. So this week, this week's for Mondays. to actually look at this question of what does love require of me? And if you're looking for those funky wallpapers, please jump on our social to keep it as a reminder. But to actually help us frame this question and actually give action to what does love require of me, I want to throw something you away. I actually want to ask of you or challenge you to take only 10 minutes, 10 minutes this week, just to sit and think about for you, who has actually shown you love? To answer the question, question who has shown me love? Just to take 10 minutes, whether that's sitting down, uh, journaling, whether it's just drawing or doodling, whether it's actually sitting down just by the water, listening to some music or even sitting in a coffee shop, not listening to music. Just take 10 minutes of your time this week to reflect on who has shown me If you're someone who does identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, I want to flick to you a little bit of an extra challenge. In fact, actually take 10 minutes this week, 10 minutes of your time, to actually reflect on what it means to you to know that God is love. What it actually means to you in light of how you can actually be a light to others. And actually knowing what it's like, to have someone in your life that pours into you in such a way that you actually have every reason to go out and pour into those around you? How can you go about being a light to others knowing that God is love? Because I find a crazy thing. What is, what is more fitting in our understanding of those who have shown us love than God actually sending his son? His son to actually give up his life so that we can actually, actually experience this real love. This life that he gave up, not just at a cross when he died in front of people, but a life he actually gave up when he met the woman at the well. This moral, social outcast, this adulteress, sat down and actually had a conversation with her. This life that he actually gave up when he actually decided to have dinner with a tax collector, the absolute scum of society. This life he actually gave up when he raised the man from the dead and knew from that day on that the religious establishment would be coming for him out of Fear. He actually came and gave his followers every reason to love one another through knowing that they are loved. And as we wrap up tonight, and I'd love to invite uh, the band back up. But as we wrap up, I just want to pitch to you, whether you follow Jesus or not. People don't tend to quit relationships. People don't tend to walk away from friendships when they are forgiven who don't tend to walk away from relationships or quit when they are affirmed, when they're not used as the material of gossip, when they're actually put first, when they're actually made a priority. People don't tend to quit or leave relationships when they are treated as invaluable, when they are actually loved. In a world that is so often overran by darkness, a sense of fear and rejection... Anxiety. We seek light. In a world of tragedies where fear and hate somehow seem stronger than ever, we actually seek this feeling to need love. It's not just the love and it's not just the light that we need to experience on a Sunday. Because what if being a Christian? What if being a Christian actually meant? Knowing we weren't called to be all the things that other people tell us to be. All the things people expect of us to be from their own experiences. What if being a Christian didn't mean we had to justify everything that we do or believe in? More so, what if being a follower of Jesus? What if being a disciple actually had everything to do with how you make God visible to others? How you show people what a relationship with Jesus actually looks like through putting love in to action because you know what love is because you know what it means to first be loved. I'd love to pray for you and then we'll flick it back to the band but God we just pray tonight as we continue to journey into our week as we think about people in our own life Lord that have actually shown us love people that have poured into our life in such a way that God we know we have every reason to actually go out and pour into others. And not just say that we love those around us, not just say that we'll love those that we know at times are difficult to love, but Lord, we can actually love those next to us knowing that you are love. Amen. Amen.